Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Law, the podcast where you can hear barristers, judges, solicitors, managing partners and more talk about their lives and careers. I'm Sally Penny, MBE. I'm a barrister at Camworthy's Chambers in Manchester, the Joint Vice Chair of the Association of Women Barristers and the founder of Women in the Law UK. This episode is supported by Elevate, a law company that has a vision where legal and business teams work together to advise great outcomes. Their mission is to provide law departments and law firms with practical ways to improve efficiency, quality and outcomes. Find out more at elevateservices.com. Before today's interview, I wanted to remind you about two of my latest books, Black History is All Our History, and a book I wrote with children in mind, but great for all the family, Where Are You From?, which celebrates black British history. Both are available now on Amazon. Today I'm talking law in an interview with John Croft, president and co-founder at Elevate, offering legal expertise to clients all over the world. John began by explaining how a relatively short-term working relationship can offer benefits to both lawyers and corporate clients over the traditional method of using an in-house lawyer. If we were talking about a contract and the contract needed to be written and negotiated and finished by the 30th of October, if you can deliver that, does it matter if you're um, sitting in an office in London or if you're sitting at your kitchen table in Hampshire? Does it matter if you're male or female, black or white, gay or straight? Um, If the work product, the sort of job to be done is it's done right and it's on time, what what, what does it matter what you look like? So we looked around and we said, well, kind of what are these other ways of doing this legal work? Um, You mentioned flexible lawyering. So so rather than working full-time somewhere, the idea, and, you know, look around other sectors, you have... um, You have sort of interim directors, interim finance directors, um, people you bring in to do a project. Um, You bring consultants in. Why wouldn't you bring a lawyer in if you were doing some M&A just for the three months you need to do the project? And then afterwards, you don't need them, they don't need you. So uh, there's flexible lawyering. There's technology as well. Um, Mm. I'll probably come back to that because it's a much bigger topic. But is there any work that uh, technology could help support? Um, There's... (coughs) There's location and the uh, cost benefit that comes with that so we've got offices in poland in india in the philippines yeah hong kong um, is one hong kong yeah um all over so you could have the same work done um all the way around the 24-hour clock so you can have sort of follow the sun if you're in a hurry but also there are cost benefits to doing work in somewhere like india versus new york for instance you can get a an equal lawyer to do the same work in the same time for a very different price. So there's a kind of a financial benefit to that. Mm. Um, and then there was just uh, consulting, which is helping either the general counsel or the partners of the firms figure out how to run their business more efficiently. Yes. It just happens their business is law, but it's a business. Yes, it's lots of people and it's got an IT department and, you know, how do you run, how do you run that more efficiently? So, We looked around the legal sector Mm. and we thought if you're um, if you were in another sector, if you were the CEO of a telecoms business, for instance, and you were trying to deliver your telecoms 
work more efficiently, you'd probably bring in a consulting firm like McKinsey or yeah. Boston Consulting Group or something like that. And they do three things. They bring in a bunch of consultants who would frame what your challenge is and then design a solution for it. Yes. And sometimes the solution is just they will make you more efficient yourselves and they give you a bill for consulting and they go away and they're, they're done. Mm. Sometimes, though, they say, we've actually, the reason we're good at this is we've worked with 10 other, cons- uh, 10 other telecoms companies and we've, we've, they've all got the same problem. And we've actually, here at Accenture, we've got a, um, a, a solution for that and we can actually sell that back to you as a managed service that, and that will make you more efficient. So there's consulting, there's managed services, and then there's technology that can either sometimes do the work and sometimes support the work being done. So if you were that CEO, you would go to an, an Accenture and they would do consulting services and technology. And when we sat down to talk about starting out of eight, we said, if you were that general counsel or that managing partner, there isn't a sort of Accenture for law. I mean, Accenture don't operate in our space. So there is nobody you could phone that has got all of those consulting services and technology all for legal. And we thought, is is the list of problems that they might be trying to solve sort of never-ending and insurmountable? And the answer was no, it's not. I mean, it's, it's a long list, but it, there was a finite list of things they could be trying to fix. Sure. Can we do this more efficiently? Can we spend less money on that? Could we, you know? Um, so we wrote them all down on a piece of paper. And it, as I say, you have to remember, and it was 10 years ago now, but you have to remember that before you started, I mean, that we had nothing. So there was yeah. no company, there was no customers, so it was yes. no revenue, and yeah. it was literally. So it was a, it was quite daunting, but we thought... If we could build all of that and create this Accenture for law, Mm -hmm. then we'd be in a very unique situation. So we started and we started building that business. And initially, and it is quite funny, um, we were doing an internal podcast for our 10th anniversary and we 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 were trying to remember early day things. And one of the things we did was because we didn't know how to describe ourselves because nobody else was doing this. No, no. And I always said, if, if we were building a law firm, like even my mum would know roughly what a law firm, if I said, oh, mum, we're building a law firm, she'd just kind of conceptually know it, what a law yes. firm does. But it's taken me, what, five minutes to tell you what we were setting out to do. And we, no, there was no other example. So what is it? It's not a law firm. Mm. It's not a law department. It, it's not a consulting firm. It's not a flexible law. It's not a tech firm, but it's kind of all of these things. So... We actually put on our website, um, we are building Accenture for law because we didn't know of another way of doing it. And then about <laughs> two years later, Accenture phoned us up and asked us to take it down, but of course, so um, which we did. So we said, OK, we have to uh, we have to come up with a way of defining this bit of the market. And the phrase we came up with was law company. Yeah. And our thinking was there will always be law departments. There will always be law firms. But now there are law companies. We like to include all of the providers that just do one of those things as a law company as well. So all of the all of our tech competitors, mm-hmm. all of our consulting competitors, all of our service competitors, they might just do one or two of these things. We've been bold. We've mm-hmm. set out to do them all. But we, we look at us all as law companies. And we're all... The other important thing was that we didn't set ourselves up to be in competition with the law firms. Yes. Because I think... Well, I know 
Lots of them thought we were, but that was absolutely not what we were trying to do. We were trying to bring efficiency to the legal ecosystem yeah. and we don't care which side of the fence you're on. We've got the tools to help you be more efficient. And if you want to make your law firm more efficient or you want to make your law department more efficient, we'd be delighted to help. And, and we've got this wide range of ways of doing it. Very few, almost nobody has buys everything from us, but they might buy one thing one, one thing, day and yeah. then uh, next year buy a second thing and a third. And what's nice for us is that by the time you get to the third or fourth, then we actually haven't got any competition because nobody else is doing all of these things. All so, of those things. So, but I mean, it's a very long, it's a very, very long play. But it, it is really, oh, thank you for explaining that because I have wondered, and there are some other people who kind of touch mm. in those areas, you know, this sort of, it's a lawyer's for you, I don't know, Lex Bundy, you know, it's not quite clear what they do, but you've explained that beautifully. But your vision for Innovate isn't just in in the way you started, how one um, practices law by services. It's also in diversity and also looking at things globally. And if you don't mind me saying so, John, mm. I'm a black woman. Mm. You are a white, heterosexual, mm. able-bodied mm. male. And so w- what are you doing about diversity mm. at Elevate? We, ca- we came into this sector with a, a business view yeah. but part as you say part of that was also just looking at the people that were in the sector and you're absolutely right it is it, it's not even slightly biased it's just like, shockingly biased mm. and um i was uh, in, invited to get to speak at this ft event yeah um and i'd i'd been to those things before and i just um I thought sort of after it was an after dinner speech and I, th- I thought no, nobody needs to hear a elevate sales pitch um, <laughs> after they've had a couple of drinks. So, um, <laughs> so what can I, what can I talk about? That's, you know, that's kind of was, was meaningful to me personally. And um, it just happened that it was, I can't remember which year it was. It was about three years ago. Yes, but, it, was. Um, it was, it, it was just at the time when the UK government had mandated all the firms to um, publish their gender, their pay, gender gap. Yeah. pay gap. Yeah. Um, and as I say, it was just, it was so off the charts. It just really kind of got, got, got under my skin. So I wanted to stand up and say something about it. Mm. Um, I, well, I, I say I wanted, I didn't. I, I thought I possibly should. Yes. But I don't know, it's imposter syndrome is the wrong word, but I, I actually felt, as you say, I'm a white, able-bodied, privately educated. I mean, I'm the most privileged type of person it is possible to be, and so I felt I can't, I can't be the person to stand up and say this. Um, but it was bothering me, and so I spoke to a couple of people, both of whom you know. Yes, I know. Um, one was Denise Nurse. Yes, um, brilliant. And the other was um, Sadie at Coro, yeah. yeah. and I. I met up with each of them separately and asked the same thing. And they both said the same thing to me. Um, and I mean, Sa- Sandy was adamant. She said, and for anyone that didn't listen to your podcast with her, listen to it because it was great. But I mean, she is on a bit of a pedestal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's this amazing human being, but she's got an amazing career. Yeah. Um, and she was on the power list. And mm. I mean, and she said to me, she said, I'm, John, I'm self-aware. I, I know 
that I've done very well in my career. I'm now on, I'm on all of these lists. Um, and yet, if I stood up at this event and gave this, this speech, people would just say, I would come over as a bit of a whiny, stampy feet. Yes, Because I am a black woman. Yes. If you say it, mm-hmm. because you are who you are, yes. um, it will be more impactful than me saying it. And I just... I, I, I guess I could conceptually understand that, but I was sort of slightly amazed. And, and um, Denise also said, um, "We just need to, we need to shout about it, yeah. and yeah. and 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 not be sort of polite about it either." So I did, and I remember, <laughs> I remember at the dinner. Um, Cause it's a bit like it's a bit like at a wedding actually yeah. you know when you've got you know you've got to give a speech so yes. you so you you kind of don't have that second glass of wine and you're kind of sitting there <laughs> waiting and i'm just thinking I'm, I'm in the lion's den and i'm about to stand up um and anyway so i i got up and i thought they were just gonna literally lob rotten no. tomatoes at me and it was quite funny because I sort of started and I looked out over the over the room and of course it was thousands mainly of there. mainly guys and yes. it was a yes. it was a dinner jacket event so everyone was sort of sitting and as I sort of started on the topic I could see I could literally everyone was talking to start with because they couldn't care less obviously and then as I as I as people started to realize what I was about to say I could literally see all these male eyes looking at me saying thinking please don't say what I think you're about to say. And then these very few female eyes looking at me saying, please say what I think you're about to say. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it, it was good, but more importantly, so I think when you said, what are we doing about it? Yeah. Having got through that and I wasn't pelted. Um, no, you, you're not, it, you it gave me, it gave me kind of strength and confidence to, to, stand up I say be counted but you know stand up and keep saying this yes um, which I do on behalf of obviously our company but on on behalf of the industry as well yeah I was uh very flattered when uh after that uh there's a group called she breaks the law yeah that founded and they 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 uh got in touch and asked if I could um sort of join their advisory board which I I do and we just we kind of try and make a difference and it's two pronged. Part of it is because it's the right thing to do. Mm. Um, part of it, in fact, it's three pronged. Part of it is because we genuinely feel and know that if you've got multiple people sitting around a table, if they are all white male, privately educated, and they literally went to the same school and the same university and then trained at the same magic circle firm. Yeah chances are they're going to have the same opinion on it because that's the way it's gone. So you don't need six people. You only need one because they're all going to say the same thing. So so, so you get a a, a sort of richer um, view on life and um, richer data set for decision-making if you have a a diverse um, group of people. But also it's it's kind of, you know, it's good for business as well. Mm. And so... Going back to kind of elevate and what we started, it was looking at the market and saying, look, there is appears to be one way of doing this at the moment. We think there's another way of doing it. Um, and as part of the flexibility, as part of where you sit in the world, in the country, is it in an office, is it at home? 
you know, it's what's in your head that counts. Mm. And kind of if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, and it doesn't matter what you look like, what your orientation is, what your, your gender is. No. Um, and so if we could set up an organization where pretty much all of the sort of metrics and everything we're judged on and everything our customers pay us for is an, is an output or an outcome. Yeah. A couple of things happen. One is we can price for that output as opposed to the old way, which is I'm going to start on this project and I will deliver that output. But at the moment, I haven't started yet, so I don't know how long it's going to take me. So I can't tell you how much it's going to cost because mm. I have to wait till I've finished and then look to see how many hours I spent. And yeah. then, because we are focusing on repeatable business of law stuff, mm. and I keep talking about contracts, but they're a massive growth of part of our business at the moment. Every company has contracts. So we'll look at a bunch of contracts and some will be short, some will be long. But so we, we kind of look at a bunch and say, okay, it's going to be, you know, £100 a contract to do X. Mm. Well, if you've got a 50 contracts, you know before we even start what it's going to cost you for that project. Yeah, so there's yeah. there's sort of certainty on that. So you now know what we're going to deliver, when we're going to deliver it, and how much it's going to cost you. Now you know that, it's up to us to, to do the work. Yeah. And we could rent a big marble building in London EC2. We could hire a bunch of privately educated Oxbridge guys and make make them wear dark suits and ties and black shoes and mm. do it that way nothing yeah. wrong with that no, nothing but wrong we with could that. also have the work done by um, women young mums at home yeah, yeah. who are doing it on their laptop at the kitchen table whilst they're feeding the kids mm. what what do you care no. um so as long, long as, as the work, work is done, is done yeah. right and on time so that's what we set out to do um from a business point of view it's combined very nicely with the sort of diversity uh, element it will not surprise you that for all the challenge and trauma that the last 18 months has thrown at the world yeah. because of covid actually it has it's highlighted the way elevate does work mm. as a f because before then one of the things that in my sales job you know i've over the years been told by people that you know you just don't understand there is there is any one way of doing this and you, the way you're suggesting just couldn't possibly you know yes, we couldn't, yes. we couldn't possibly do work at home i would wager that every partner of every magic circle firm in london delighted their clients last year in the way that they have for the last 20 years none of them went to an office or put a tie on to do that so yeah. it doesn't mean you can't put your tie back on it doesn't mean you can't go to an office but sort of please stop telling me that that's the only way that this could be Abs done. Absolutely. And it's, it's yes, it's helped. Th and things like technology as well, instead yeah. of being a, instead of being a threat, it's, it's allowed you to work at home, yes. which is the only place you could work last year. So wasn't that a good thing? It's not yeah. So you were actually ahead of the curve in many respects. And business people would have called you a disruptor. You know, yes. the people who start something new yeah. as different, you know, the Steve Bartlett's of this world yeah. call you, you know, um, a disruptor in this sector, which was same, same, samey. And now, actually, uh, our, our sector or the sector is following what you started. Um, and people probably, you know, uh, offices won't go back to the traditional 
model in in that way. Do you think that's a fair a fair assessment? Yeah. Um, I, I I think so to some extent. I mean, who knows who will go back? Of course, people will go back to offices, but the idea of that sort of jacket on the back of the chair, mm. sort of burning in the midnight oil. I mean, the work will still need to be done. Yeah, and. It is helpful to physically be together, and we've all missed it. Yes, uh, I'm of a hugely social animal. I've missed it very, very badly. Yeah. Um, but everyone has had to figure out other ways to do the work, and now we've got two ways of doing the work. Yeah. Will it go back to a hundred percent of the old way? Absolutely not. Mm. Um, will everyone stay at home and never go to an office? Absolutely not. Um, I think there's sort of you know it, there's some space in the middle where where, the middle, yeah. where people will land. Mm. Um, but no, it's it's. I don't want to say COVID's been helpful because it hasn't. But no, you, you know, but you know, it it has been a helpful uh, thing to help um, some rather traditional, yes. old fashioned yes. people yeah. see that there is another way to operate and yeah. it does work. And force the issue, of course, you know, of people refusing, for example, flexible working, yeah. uh, you know, the right to flexible working. There's a right to apply, isn't it? Yeah. There's a right. Um, there's no automatic right. There's a right to refusal, of course. Mm. But it's for some of those issues. And so it's good to hear it. Um, John, I wonder if we could just move on a bit and ask a little bit about what advice would you give to younger people who maybe they're, um, undergrads mm. um, studying law or some are doing the LPC, mm. maybe even the bar course, mm. but who are thinking of entering the law? Mm. A- and a bit of guidance, really, maybe three tips on how to stay resilient. Because, you know, for some of those younger people, mm. the last 18 months, and I've been very concerned about it, have been hell. Mm. And they're worried about opportunities in mm. the law, mm. how to carry on, rejection mm. in training mm. places. So I wondered if you had any kind of guidance, perhaps, mm. any advice for young people? I, I always feel I'm not really qualified to give anyone advice on anything, but I do think you used the word resilience mm. and... I think it's one of the traits that I personally have had to rely on, you know, over my career more more than anything else. Um, And I think I would say embrace change. Um, I know no human beings really like, none of us actually like change. Mm. Um, Yes, if you were to ask any of my colleagues, I get grumpy when we get a new app we need to use or something you know so I'm <laughs> yes I think the law in particular and I say I, I say this because uh, and I mentioned earlier that sort of velvet rope that I felt earlier in my career I'm, I guess I'm I'm lucky in that I've I've become kind of comfortable in my own skin but I I thought as somebody that was selling into the legal sector mm. it felt it always felt slightly out of out of reach to me um and nobody missed a chance to remind me that I wasn't a lawyer. Mm. Um, And so I think one of the things I would say is that if you are coming into the law, the law, and again, I'm talking corporate rather than obviously, as a barrister, you have to be, you know, to put your wig on and get into court. But (laughs) if you're you're talking about coming into kind of um, corporate legal, it's, it's a much bigger 
industry, and I would say industry rather than profession. It is a, it is a much better, bigger industry now than it ever used to be because there there was that velvet rope before, and you were either you either got your training contract or you didn't. You either you know became partner or you didn't, <clears throat> and you were either a lawyer or you weren't. But everything that I've been chatting about today have been examples of there is that lawyer piece of uh, of of legal work but there is also um a huge technology piece um there is also kind of project management uh, lawyers also need to be business people and yeah. understand how to run a business and how to make money and yes. how to be efficient and there's been a lot of it it's kind of funny because i you know i mentioned that i've been on this journey for about 35 years now um the the last company that i worked in was um was predominantly uh low end legal work being done in india yes. and there were a whole bunch of companies at the time that started up doing that and if you were to read any of the legal press at the time it was all very sort of hysteria driven oh my god you know the indians are going to take your jobs um, there won't be any lawyers left in london all the work's going to india well, of course of course it wasn't yeah. that but there was but nobody had ever thought of that before so the idea that with labor arbitrage and time zone capabilities it was attractive to do a certain amount of work yes. in somewhere like india or the philippines or krakow or wherever it was um when that was new that just seemed hugely threatening and so the kind of legal establishment literally tried to crush us down and stop it they came up with every reason it wasn't going to work because they saw it as a threat we didn't see it as a threat mm. we realized that you know in the old days and this i guess is where the your bit of the law might touch ours if in the old days i you watch those old enron i was uses an example those old enron videos the fbi guys walking out with the with the cardboard boxes yeah. with the folders in well that's fine but now they would walk out with your mobile phone oh, and yeah. on your mobile phone is a gazillion times more data than was in those cardboard boxes so there has just been this explosion in the amount of data that needs to be considered when you're looking at a legal case and we've got some data that on a graph that shows the sort of data going right up to the bottom left to the top right and then if you look at the number of people popping out of law school it, over the next 10 years it barely moves so there comes a point where frankly even if you've got all the money in the world to throw at a problem you're going to run out of lawyers so moving certain low level work to a location like india was not only logical was not only cost effective it was sort of essential because you can't have everyone in london doing this because you're going to run out of them mm. um so there is project management there is moving work there's technology so i would say if you're coming that there will be people that just want to be a pure play lawyer yes and the good news for them is that all of these things if used properly will help you end up with just the cream of the crop that you the the bit the reason that you did go to cambridge or did get a you know a a law degree or or become a solicitor for the really interesting intellectual work that you should be doing yeah. because the first cut of the 50,000 documents 
was done by a machine, you know, and was was done by some technology with some artificial intelligence to help cut it down. The second cut of 10,000 was done by some highly experienced lawyers in India who cut it down to 100 documents. And it's the 100 documents that you will then get to review. And that's actually what you want to do if you're at a magic circle magic firm. Circle. And that's why people go to magic circle firms for and, that and if you And if you don't want to and you or you went to an ex-poly, you don't know anybody in law, yes. but you're interested in the in how the law works and the business of yeah. law and the all the other aspects that you've talked about, yeah. then it's good to know all the other pockets you're talking about, yes. the management side, the yes. entrepreneurial side, the profit side, so that you're whole. So there is, a, in your model, and certainly the advice you're talking about is look at all the other aspects that make up the law. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, because it takes, you know, and this comes back to um, what we were talking about around diversity, because one of the other elements of diversity is the sort of socioeconomic um, lack of diversity of, yeah. of people that end up here. I had a fascinating chat the other day with um, a lady called Sophie Pender, who I would highly recommend for a podcast. Um, she's founded something called the 93% Club, um, which represents 93% is the representation of uh, state schools state educated schools. Yes, uh, people yes. in le- in legal. Yeah, um, and she has a she has an absolutely fascinating uh, story. But um, I was I was doing a, a sort of uh, welcome induction session with a new team at Elevate the other day. And we sort of went around the table to introduce ourselves. And it was kind of, you know, say your name and and kind of a little bit about your, your, your background. Um, and they were all in their early 20s. Mm. Um, and so the first person had got a law degree from this and and became a lawyer, you know, last September. It was everyone went around. And one, one person uh, around the table um, I could just tell it was a little bit uncomfortable and, and basically said she'd been she'd been working in a bar and she'd been working as a waitress mm. and we sort of moved on. And I I called out to everyone because A, I knew how she would feel because that was that was me back in the day. Um, and second of all, there's nothing wrong with being a lawyer. So it was great that the other people all had a law degree, but I did say to everyone, please don't think that just because you've got a law degree that somehow you've got all the answers and this other person hasn't. Yes. Because I can tell you that most of our business is based on looking after our customers and customer service. Yeah. And a lawyer, lots of lawyers I know who are lovely people, can sit in a dark room with the door shut and and do very very clever work, but you put them in front of a customer and 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 get them to give a sharp you know succinct answer yeah. or understand when someone's upset and and they just don't have the skill set to do that. Yeah. If you work if, if you've worked in a bar or if you've worked as a waiter or a waitress, there is it. I think on earth it's the it's the most extreme version of customer service because you meet somebody immediately yeah and you've got to hold every, you know you don't know what they're going to ask for you've got to hold kind of everything in your head and things go wrong in restaurants all the time oh yeah and people go nuts yeah. and it's how you deal with them on your feet you are the front line you're not the management you're mm-hmm. the front line provider and it, that is a skill set 
that I and we value just as highly as I've got a law degree. Um, and in the same way as the person that was a waitress won't be able to do some of the legal work, of some of the lawyers won't be able to do the customer work. work yeah. And so it's kind of putting those teams together um, and, yeah, and and giving cr- sort of cre- credit where it's due where and, it's due. and hope. And so I think, I don't know what advice I would give anyone, but I I, well, I, I do think that the market is more open in legal than people might think from the outside. So, um, you know, please don't think if you haven't had that very traditional, traditional education yeah. that this is not for you. Um, and as I say, I'm not knocking joining law firms as a trainee. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, I I met up for a coffee um, with a young chap who was uh, who had three offers on the table from three very good firms. Um, and uh, he asked if he, he said, oh, could I ask your advice on which one I should take? I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. Um, I know. I know all the firms. I, they're all good firms. So I didn't I couldn't sort of say this over that. Mm. Um, but we ended up talking about everything you and I just talked about, yeah. which is law companies and Elevate. And whilst it wasn't remotely my intention, he ended up not taking up not taking up any of them and joining us yes and he's done really really well um and as i say it's yeah so um but it is interesting because one of the issues are if you are from a minority group and part of that recruitment process is you look at the photographs of of people on the website and the names some research done on that you're called john so they want to call you out but there was a time when a significant amount of partners in this firm were johns you know there were no sarahs and there were you know no falukis i don't know um and so that's actually does not attract able, talented yeah. young lawyer to go there yeah. because they can't see the progression yeah. and they can't see the retra- retention uh, and the attrition rates are poor. But yeah. if there is a third way or another yeah. way, which is forward thinking, and I described you before as a wham, a white heterosexual, mm. able-bodied male, because I think allies need to come in different shapes and sizes yeah. and need to believe in in diversity mm. and pragmatics. So we do need both hands to drive change. I always say this, you know, um, change requires a left and right hand uh, to drive forward mm. change. So it's good to see what you're doing and the advice that you've been giving is really helpful. But looking at you, John, because we're in person, hooray. Yes. Um, you're kind of slick. I'm thinking suits in my <laughs> mind, right? Uh, you know, I'm kind of meeting you and thinking, wow, this is like, you know, Harvey Specter of duty here. Um, but I want to ask you about maybe, you know, your aspirations in your own yeah. life, whether it's a favorite book yeah. or whether you've got a favorite fictional lawyer, uh, in mind. <laughs> but, you know, where does your inspiration come from? And, you know, and your Harvey Specter of duty, because, you know, you believe in other ways of working, right? So you, that's why I'm not, you don't need to put a tie on for me. Um, but I wonder if you could share some of that with me. Where does your inspiration come from? Is it a book? And mm. if it is, what is your favourite book? Mm. Um, and whether you've got a favourite fictional lawyer? That is hysterical. I don't know if you were. <laughs> I don't know if you were put up to this. But, no, it's, it's my podcast. But my favourite <laughs> fictional character is Harvey. Is Harvey Specter. Specter. I know. <laughs> yes. I know. I'm getting old, aren't I'm I? <laughs> so predictable, aren't I? I know. Um, that was that was fun. Oh, you didn't um, even know that was coming. <laughs> no, I had, not, I had no idea. Um, 
No, I uh, I think I wanted to be when I was at school. I didn't want to be a lawyer. I and I, I'm not very um, acad- I'm not remotely academic. So that um, I was I, I felt rather sort of um, I was threatened, but. I, I went. I actually went to a very, very uh, academic school. Mm. Um, so everyone I was at school with was so much more um, booky than I was. Mm. That I was the sort of outcast, and I was always bottom of the class. And yes. I sort of thought I was rather stupid. Um, I, it was only when I left I realised that they were all just so extreme. I was perfectly normal. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I actually had no aspirations for kind of spending years at law school or becoming a doctor or anything like that. Um, I wanted to be a businessman. I didn't know what a businessman was Mm. because um, I grew up in Oxford Mm. um, and everyone there was very booky and academic and wore tweed jackets. And so (laughs) suits was not at the time, but that idea of that idea of... Inspector Malls, I'm thinking of Yeah, exactly. Goodness. (laughs) So, um, no, I wanted to just have kind of a briefcase and, you know, wear a blue suit and do business stuff that, that's that's kind of what fired oh, right. me up oh right um, and how, what not have bananas and the sandwich in the, in it yeah, exactly. <laughs> proper grown-up job <laughs> yeah so um well, i mean one of the business people that i've admired over the years has always been richard branson and my reason for doing that is he like me is is not a sort of intellectual academic no. um he left school early um and yes yeah. and he has approached industries like the airline industry where at the time british airways there was sort of one if you wanted to go to new york there was kind of one way of doing it and it was the old school establishment way and you sort of got what you got and you paid what you paid. Mm. Um, and he came in as, I mean, you used the word disruptor earlier. We don't like to think of ourselves as a disruptor, but no, just a but sort of a newer, fresher way of looking at things mm. um, and has been successful in doing that. Yeah. Has that meant that British Airways or anyone else has had to go out of business? Absolutely not. No, but there is, no. and, and there's plenty of people that will like flying BA, but there is now a choice with the virgins of this world as well and they've yes. become credible and they're no longer little risky startups no, and no. they are innovators probably innovators. Word. so um that's he's an example of somebody that i've um always followed and uh what he has done is an example of the kind of thing that we're trying to do at elevate i think rather yes. than rather than disrupt or knock anyone else out there's plenty of room for everyone i'd like to ask you about well-being Mm. Um, our sector is not great at um, well-being mm. and there's a lot of work being done, you know, from the Bar Association, well-being, brilliant in many, many different ways, Bar Council, at the Law Society, you know, the uh, Stephanie Boyce, the president, is, is very keen to get well-being further up the agenda. Mm. But it's long hours, mm. exhausting, mm. Uh, sometimes living off coffee, maybe mm. that's just me. Mm. Um uh, and so I'd just like to ask you, you know, particularly as a leader um, of a law company like yours, which is trying to do interesting things, mm. innovate in different mm. ways, work in a, in a slightly different way than the traditional model. What do you do for your own well-being mm. or, or really what would you like to do? I'm very lucky in that I come from a big family 
um, and we have three children and we're a very, very close knit bunch. Um, and so there's actually sort of no room left in my life for doing anything else, but I wouldn't have it any other way because I find my family life is a, is a nice kind of counterbalance yes. to my work life. Um, I'm fortunate in that, um, I, my job, as I said, is a salesperson. Mm. So I don't need to spend all day sitting at a desk like some of my colleagues do. And that's just, that's just lucky for me. Um, I need to go and see our customers and talk to our customers. So I'm out, I'm physically out and about. And I said, you know, I'm very social. And so the last year has been tricky not being able to see people. Um, So I'm kind of out and about a lot. And then we also have a global business, which means that there isn't, however long your working day is, my colleague Liam is in LA so he's up at three my 3 p.m so I I can't outrun him in the evening and then my colleagues in sort of Asia and it you know Hong Kong and India are, are at the other end so you never reach a point where there is no end of the day basically so you need to kind of find a way to finish I, I need to find a way to finish my day mm. and and just put it down and not because otherwise you could just you could just work the whole time so i think there's a little bit of um discipline um i think there's kind of i say process around it but we as an organization can only operate if we all sort of follow some similar principles and work in a similar way otherwise you know it would be very very chaotic um one of the things that we use, which I'd highly recommend, it's an app. It's called 15.5. It's a mechanism that you use every five days, so once a week, and it takes you 15 minutes just to kind of fill in at a high level what it is that you're working on and how you're feeling in life as well, how stressed or otherwise you are, uh, what your workload is like, are you underwater or overwater? Um, and the whole organization is, so there's 1500 of us around the world now. Wow. Uh, yes, and the whole company uses it. And if you manage people, it just takes you a few minutes on a Friday to just look through all of your team's sort of pulse and see how they're doing. and. Whilst that alone won't fix the problem, it does mean that we are aware because, as you know, like you, me and everyone else, Mm. um, we all have weeks where everything's going according to plan and we're feeling fine and healthy and we all have weeks where that's not the case. And this is a mechanism to allow managers to spot the people that need the care when they need it and a little bit of extra attention to see why are you feeling underwater. Um, And then further up the organisation, it allows senior management to see why does this team always seem to have this going on and this team always seem to have this going on and sort of, and and, and then find, um, hopefully find some answers and some some ways around it. So that's that's an easy tool. That's a useful little thing. Um, And then my... Other kind of relaxation, I suppose, is going to the theatre. Yes. Um, which yes. I tops everything for me. Um, you know, however stressful a week has been, if we're out at the theatre on a Friday night, um, it is lovely. Uh, we're very lucky because we live in central London. So we, other than for the last year, we normally 
try and go to the theatre at least once a week. So wow. we try and see kind of everything from the big, obvious shows yes. at the big theatres down to the little, you know, new play at the Southwark Playhouse or what, you know, whatever it is. There's something magical about live performance. Yeah, uh, you actually have to put your mobile on airplane mode. Yeah. Um, so you have to switch off and throw yourself into it. Um, and that's a that's a very good sort well, of... Well, I'm so thrilled you said that because I'm a trustee of the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester. Huh? Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm always desperate to get um, lawyers and those working in the legal sector yes. to come to the theatre because yes. it's an escapism. So yes. might I give you a suggestion, perhaps not at our theatre, but Martin Shaw, Judge John Deed, is starring in the Chekhov play, Cherry Autry. Uh, from the 1st of November right. uh, at uh, Windsor uh, Theatre. Okay. Um, so um, it, it will be a good play because I, I know that um, he's been rehearsing like mad. Yeah. Um, and the treasure of my inn, Gray's Inn, his uh, daughter is in it. So right. um, uh, it's a good, it's going to be fantastic as she's a very talented young woman, not in law. John, tell me, um, your daughter recently got married, one of your uh, three. My, yes. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. And I'm just wondering, Wondering, you know, as an ally, really, uh, what, what hopes have you got for, you know, her daughter or son mm. for the workplace um, and things to come? Mm. You already said, you you know, you're, you yourself have been privileged and so on and so mm. forth, but that's not stopped you. I often say it doesn't matter where you've come from, it's where you're going and what mm. you want to do yes. to change the narrative. Yes that we have. So I'm just interested in really, you know, given we've still got huge gender pay gaps, certainly for women, well, there's a whole load of uh, issues. What are your, what are you hoping to see, you know, by the time you have a, uh, a granddaughter yes. or a grandson, mm. how are you hoping the sector is looking? Do you see there being no offices, which you've talked about? No, I don't see there being no offices. I just hope, I, I, I hope that there is even more change over the next 20 years than there has been in the last 20 years. Because if I think back to the time that I started in my career, as I say, even with my own privileged uh, upbringing, I felt slightly outside of, you know, the club um, for various reasons. So I would hope that um, any of my... uh, any of my future grandchildren would, um, you know, would in, would enjoy a far more sort of equal workplace. Um, my my daughter is already an entrepreneur, so I'm super proud of her. Yeah. Um, and my son, my older son, is an entrepreneur as well. Wow! Um, so they've both grasped life with both hands and done something for themselves, rather than go and get a job at you know, a law firm or a Mm. consulting firm or whatever. Um, And, you know, that's been, um, that's been an amazing source of pride. Yeah. I think what it's highlighted is that whilst they both have had a traditional education, um, one of the things I feel strongly about is that, I don't quite want to say our education system is not fit for purpose because it's a way of learning. But if you look at the change that's happened in the world over the last 20 years, and it's very, very technology driven. Yes. But there are jobs today. Which didn't exist. In sectors that didn't exist. Absolutely. Because obviously when I was 
their age, the internet hadn't <laughs> hadn't started yet. Yeah, yes. um, so if you think of that, fast forward to your question of what are my grandchildren who haven't even been born oh, yet yes, are going to be doing in, in 25, 30 years time, what will the world look like then? Obviously, none of us can answer that. And therefore, the education system that we have which is effectively the same way that my parents were educated yeah. as i say it's not it's not bad but it's like everything else i've been saying today it, it can't be the only way mm. um and so i hope that they're brought up in a way that allows them to build a skill set um and become the people they want to be and that there is um, a work environment that values them for those things rather than this slightly cookie cutter yes. system we have at the moment which again I say because I felt I personally fell outside of it I, I was being judged by whether or not you, you got know, the grades on the one marks. particular hour in June in a silent room in the school hall, I could remember and write down yeah. some things I'd been told a few months ago that just didn't interest me in the slightest. So guess what? I didn't do very well. Yeah. Um, but I've, I'm personally lucky in that I found something that fires me up in life yes. I, that I'm very passionate about. Yes. And I've just sort of you know, I can't remember, was it resilience or tenacity, but I've just kind of kept at it. Yeah. And finally, here we are, and we've got this amazing company and people are sort of saying, yeah, that maybe there is another way of doing these things. So for all of those reasons, I would hope that in the workplace, but before then in their education, our next generations of um, children and grandchildren would, you know, see some change in in, in, in all of that absolutely absolutely I, I think you're spot on and I mean the education system is a whole other conversation isn't it and legal apprenticeships well John we're coming to the end of our time together gosh we could carry on all day <laughs> couldn't we it's so interesting talking to you and seeing your vision and kind of you know how you thrived I wonder what's next you know um, Elevate had acquired Halebury yes. uh, Law which was set up by Denise Nurse and, and Janvi yeah. um, Patel fantastic law firm you know two best friends and you're doing wonderful things yeah. you know you've got as you've said 1500 staff globally or colleagues so you're doing wonderfully well but i'm just wondering what's what's next for, what's next for you someone asked me the same question about what? a week ago i know sorry um <laughs> and the answer i gave which you might think is a rather odd answer was i want us to become boring and what i mean is that our journey so far has been sort of smashing glass ceilings and doing new stuff and whilst I obviously hope and know that we will continue to evolve I don't think it needs to be this dramatic going forward um, we've kind of proven a point it doesn't have to be just this way there yeah. is another way yeah. I'm delighted to say that the you know the number of people that are you know, I said earlier that the establishment was trying to stop us. That they haven't. We're here. Mm. There are other big players. The big four have all sort of jumped into this space as well. So sure. it's now a thing. Yeah. And you can't keep on sort of coming up with brand new, crazy, what well, looked at the time like crazy new ways of doing things. So I would like us just to become a bigger, more established, trusted. I would like people to stop when you go to conferences and listen to these 
fireside chats on panels of, <laughs> do you think this is, you know, do you think there's any future? Do you think this is a thing? I think we all know it's a thing now. So um, I hope that Elevate will just um, continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got this broad range of offerings. And I hope that our existing customers will work with us more and more. And then I hope that, you know, new customers will will come along. But I don't think we need to keep looking for new things to do. I think there is a, I don't know what the number is. It's a huge number. Um, Mark Cohen says it's a trillion dollar market. It doesn't matter. It's just a huge, it doesn't matter what the number is. It's a huge market. So there's plenty for us, plenty for everyone else, plenty for the law firms, plenty for the law departments. Mm-hmm. But I would just like the next 10 years of, of my career um, for us to kind of, step up and grow into becoming a kind of an established, you know, Accenture, so, so to yes. speak. Wow. Well, John Croft, thank you for talking law with me. I almost felt like saying this is your life or something, <laughs> actually, as I was saying that. This is your life. Um, but thank you. It's been fascinating um, interviewing you. And I look forward to hearing more on uh, you coming back on at some stage. Lovely. Well, it's very nice to meet you in person, Sally. Thank you for having me. Big thank you to John Croft for talking law with me, Sally Penny, MBE. And thanks again to Elevate for supporting this episode. Do visit elevateservices.com to find out more. If you'd like to support Talking Law, then please get in touch. You can find me on Twitter at SallyPenny1 or search for Sally Penny or Women in the Law UK on LinkedIn or Instagram. Make sure you catch up with our previous episodes too where you can hear my interviews with guests such as family law specialist James Brown, barrister and TV personality Rob Brinder, and Stephanie Boyce, the president of the Law Society of England and Wales. Thanks to our production team, Sam Walker and Michael Blades at What Goes On Media. Bye for now.